You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. We're going to be starting a new series, as I mentioned tonight. It's going to be a two-week series that could be a 52-week series. And uh, I understand uh, what I'm diving into a little bit tonight, but uh, over the last several years, Kristen and I have uh, taught through the New Testament, and uh, we have taught it in a way that's more of an overview of sections of the New Testament. So we uh, looked at the, the Gospels, and we looked at the book of Acts, and we looked at the Pauline epistles, and then we looked at the general epistles. And so there is one book left, one just little book in the Bible, one little small little book in the Bible that uh, we have not covered in this style of teaching, and uh, I want to do that over these next couple weeks, called the book of Revelation. And we'll, as we did with the other series, our, our goal has been to just provide some context, to provide some framework as it pertains to these uh, various books or types of books in Scripture. We definitely are not getting exhaustive in this. This is not a uh, Purpose Institute uh, curriculum style of teaching or even a Bible college style of teaching, but our hope is that as you look into the book of Revelation, uh, that, that this framework will help you as you read it. How many have read the book of Revelation? Anybody read the book of Revelation? All right, so we got quite a few that have a, a general knowledge of the book of Revelation. Anybody uh, read it more than once? Anybody ever read it more than once? Okay, we've got a few that have read it more than once. Has anybody ever read it like me more than once and you go, wait a second, I, I thought that was that. And sometimes you get to into it and you think you're following along with a train of thought and then all of a sudden something comes out and you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. But the book of Revelation is a very important book, of course, to our Christianity and our faith. And I hope that over these next couple weeks that what I share doesn't confuse you. That's number one goal, not to create more confusion around the subject of the book of Revelation, but to hopefully provide some more framework to allow you, as you look into this book and this wonderful uh, book, that you can understand a little bit better what you're reading. Now, just as a point of reference, you can read the book of Revelation in about an hour and a half. So those of you who like to read, it doesn't take a terribly long time to read. What usually takes a long time is you having to reread what you just read, try to visualize what you just read and heard. And just as a point of information, it is not the book of Revelations, the book of Revelation, Right? Brother Pasley would harp on that point, and uh, he made sure that we understood it is the book, the book of Revelation, not Revelations. All right. It could be 
considered the scariest book in the Bible. I don't know. Uh, maybe we should have done this series. If I had been a little bit more proactive, I would have done this series around Halloween. That would have been perfect. But um, it's not just the terrifying imagery that makes it scary, but it's a minefield for interpretation. And in their handbook, and we use a handbook, I meant to bring it with me or have it, I'll show it to you, but the handbook on the general epistles and revelation by Jeremy Painter and Jeffrey Brickle, it's put out by the United Pentecostal Church, they say this, during the centuries since Revelation was written, pseudo-prophets, cults, and charlatans have trumpeted their own sectarian and idiosyncratic spins on the book's meaning, leading at times to a fanaticism, dogmatism, and a horde of false predictions that never came to pass. In other words, it's one of those books that People dive into, and then they start going this way and that way, and they are trying to interpret everything that's going on. And many times it leads down a path that uh, causes us to want to make predictions or make uh, application when, in fact, the Bible is not necessarily saying that. Um, but it's, it's one of those books that is a minefield for interpretation. And uh, many times people read it as a tabloid style rather than uh, an inspired book of Scripture. And unfortunately, due to the, the long and notorious history of abuse and sensationalism and exploitation uh, by, again, I think people who are well-meaning but maybe misguided sometimes, uh, that, that it can be discouraging to us to pick up and read the book of Revelation because there are so many ways that people are interpreting it and, and how do I know what that is. It's truly a difficult and mysterious book for modern readers. And uh, again, I'm uh, full confession and transparency. I, I find it challenging at times to understand, to try to understand what is happening in the book. And there are... Uh, times, again, like I mentioned, when you think you understand, you, you kind of, okay, this is what this is talking about, and then it goes somewhere else, and, and all of a sudden you're underwater again, and, and uh, you're trying to figure it out. But I'm, I believe that the book of Revelation should have impact in our lives, and it is a powerful book that can have a real impact on your walk with God. We're going to get to that. We should not read the book of Revelation and assume that it's only talking about some future. It deals with our lives today, and it's calling us to something today and has very real application. Now, let's dive into the book a little bit, and uh, hopefully you're sitting next to somebody you feel comfortable being transparent with. We'll get to the application, the app time in just a moment. But most scholars, when we talk about who wrote the book of Revelation, or who was the writer, I should say, of the book of Revelation, most uh, scholars are going to tell you John, the son of Zebedee. And so, in full disclosure, I don't think that is a picture of John, the son of Zebedee. It just gives you a frame of reference. On It could be John may have looked like that. 
All right. John was the last surviving member of the 12 apostles. And at some point in his uh, missionary and, and apostleship, uh, before the destruction of Jerusalem, John left the holy city of Jerusalem and he made his way to Ephesus. And that's, in my opinion, going to be important when we look at Revelation. He ends up in Ephesus, uh, which is a leading city and a seaport, and uh, he serves there and until he is finally arrested and taken into custody by uh, Emperor uh, Domitian, I believe is how you pronounce it, and he was banished to the island of Patmos. And so here on the island of Patmos, he's in prison, it's here that he receives revelation, and he receives the vision and the things that he saw and wrote in the book of Revelation. Now, let me pause there because I think there's a nugget of truth that is important. That prison does not stop revelation, and prison does not keep God from speaking in our life. Let me say to those who maybe face sickness in your body, and maybe you haven't seen a healing in your body. What I find in the New Testament that's pretty interesting is that a lot of the New Testament was written by people in prison. People who were imprisoned in some way, constrained in some way, but yet God was still able to speak to them, number one, and use their life. And I know some are watching online tonight because they're sick in their body. And I, I felt quickened tonight as I was uh, uh, thinking about this and as I was looking at this. I, I, I realized, you know what? John was in prison, yet he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. John was in prison, yet he was able to have a moment with God and communicate something that was meaningful to others. I think that's significant. And so, most scholars believe it was written, uh, the book of Revelation was written uh, around 90 to 95 AD. You can probably find dates all over the place on that. But as we consider how to read, how do we read the book of Revelation and, and how do we make sense of it, I think one of the things that might be helpful to understand is that there are three literary genres that are used in the book of Revelation. So there's not just one, and, and uh, we, won't dive, we won't dive too deep into this, but the literary genre is like a type of literature. Uh, you might read something that's a tragedy or a comedy or satire or some, some other way of writing. And so Revelation has distinct styles, and it's not just one style. There are three styles that, that seem to be pronounced. And uh, those three styles, the first is apocalyptic style. The first is the apocalyptic style. Now, Revelation's apocalyptic genre, we get that from the first word of the book of Revelation. It's apocalypsis. All right, so apocalypsis. Now, I don't know about you, 
But when you think of apocalypse, anybody ever heard the term apocalypse? I don't know about you. I won't have you raise your hand. But when I have thought about the word apocalypse at different times, you think of the end of the world, right? You hear the word apocalypse, you think end of the world. You think fire and brimstone. You think chaos. You think zombies. Don't lie. (laughs) That's what the word apocalypse has kind of come to mean in our culture. But that's not what the word apocalypse means. The word apocalypse means the unveiling. It means the revealing of something. The first word of the book of Revelation is apocalypsis, which means the unveiling. Uh, Not to get too awkward, but there's even a definition means to get naked. All right? So we're not going to do that here. But that... It's the unveiling of something, making known something, revealing something. And so, apocalypsis is really what the book is about. It's not about the mystery. It's not about the secrecy. The book of Revelation is meant to be the unveiling, and not just a random unveiling, but the unveiling of Jesus Christ. What is it? It's For you to see the panorama picture from beginning to end of Jesus Christ. So you see very often, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. This phrase is said often, I am the first and I am the last. It's a revealing of all that Christ is in the world from eternity beginning to eternity end. And so I think that's important for us to understand. It's not just about, this book is not about just crazy chaos, fighting and looting. It's about the unveiling and revealing of Jesus Christ. And I think that's important and ultimately It unveils. What is it unveiling about Christ? It's unveiling his sovereignty. That's what it is unveiling. It's unveiling the power that Christ has in his possession from beginning to end. And so it deals with his power from past to future. And so when we look at that, the apocalyptic Genre is there, that revealing nature. And then the prophetic is another genre. It's the, we realize John the author, he he talks about prophecy. And so it's prophetic in nature. There's an element of it. But what we realize about prophecy is there's two elements to prophecy. There is the foretelling meaning I'm going to tell of something to come, but it's also the forth telling. It's the truth about the present circumstance. And so the prophetic doesn't just deal in the future, it deals with the here and now. And so we realize that is, that is a part of this genre. And then the epistolary 
is the third genre, and that is the genre that really is just a fancy term for a letter style. John is writing in the form of a letter. So you, you read the, the beginning and the end, and you realize that it's in letter form. It's sent to recipients who couldn't be together, and so he's going to write in letter form. So those are the, the genres, I guess you could say, of the, the book of Revelation. Now let's, let's quickly look at some, some theories of interpretation. So how can we interpret the book of Revelation? And again, this would be exhaustive. You could, you could spend a lot of time here, but I'll, I'll try to summarize as much as I can. There are four major viewpoints. Uh, you could say four major lenses or glasses you can wear when you read the book of Revelation. The first is the preterist theory. So that is that the book of Revelation has already happened. Everything you read has already happened. And it, uh, those who take this view believe that, that Rome in particular was the focus of the book of Revelation. And everything that you read has already happened. And, of course, this view is challenged by the things that we read that the Bible says will come to pass. And so there is that, that view. There's the historical theory. The, that the fulfillment of revelation is going on in history, that, that even the uh, history of the church is found in the book of Revelation, and we're in a certain period of time in the book of Revelation as it pertains to the church. So there's that, that theory that exists, and, and sometimes when you go down that road as you're reading the book of Revelation, that kind of theory will force you to maybe sometimes put some things in there that may or may not be there. It forces you to identify something in history and say, that's what it says, that's what it's saying. And again, I think we have to be careful of, of that. Then there's the symbolic theory. This theory is a refinement of the historical theory, but it suggests that everything in the book of Revelation is purely symbolism, that it's, it's not necessarily dealing even with real-world events. It's just a symbolism of sorts. It's meant to encourage Christians in some way. And again, in this theory, you tend to lean towards that, that a lot of it's already been fulfilled, but there are some spiritual lessons that you can read in the book of Revelation. Then there's the futurist theory. This theory holds that the book of Revelation is primarily prophetic and yet in the future, especially from Revelation 4 to the end of the book. And um, you'll see... Uh, you, you kind of read the book of Revelation, starting again, we'll talk about uh, chapter number four and on, as seeing it as things yet to come. And then there's a lot of other, I mean, you can, you can watch and listen till your head falls off, uh, Christian broadcasting or YouTube or search the internet on people's beliefs on the book of Revelation. And it's probably those four viewpoints are interwoven in in some way. And then there's even the, the interpretation of the tribulation. And so 
Uh, that's kind of a, a, a big discussion or a big point of debate. Are we, as the church, going to be raptured after the tribulation, during the tribulation, or before the tribulation? So you have to iron all of that out in your mind. Do you believe that we'll walk through tribulation? We could, we could go on the, the, the pros and cons of all of those. Now, how it applies to our house is when we go out to Acapulco on Sunday, we say, are you pre-chip, post-chip, or mid-chip? So at what point are you allowed to eat an appetizer is how that discussion usually goes with our crew. I'll leave you guys to decide on your own if you can eat appetizers before prayer, mid-prayer, or after prayer. All right. But here's the point. It's easy when you start, when you put on any set of lens, and, and, and I'm not going to try to take a stance on any one of those lens. What I'm going to tell you is that when you put on a lens, you can really start heading down a road, and it, and it can become a web of theories to the point, and my concern with any direction is that, is it causing you to lose your ability to function as a Christian in the here and now? So is what you're hearing, what you're chasing, what you're thinking about, what you're reading about in the news and trying to make application to what is happening in the book of Revelation. All that can be fine and all that's good and, and I think there's a lot of merit to, to doing that. I think the concern that I would have is what Christ ended up telling his disciples when they said, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They asked the question, give us the time. I want to know what's happening. And he said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the end of the world. And so uh, I, I think that Anytime we're investigating what we believe about the book of Revelation, it's important that we realize at the end of the day that God is sovereign. He holds time in his hand. And uh, I, I think it's important. We've seen the effects. Those of you who maybe are older and you lived through the 80s and 90s in church, I've talked about this before, but you've lived through the 88 reasons God is coming back in the year 1988. And when that, that didn't come to pass, okay, it's 89 reasons, 89 reasons why God is coming back in 1989. I think you're, you're chasing something and doing a disservice to the kingdom of God. We're, to meant, to, we're meant to live in this world faithfully, for the Lord, not trying to spend our time guessing about what's happening. I do think the Spirit is quickening. This is the last days. This is the time to get your life right. This is the time to make that happen. But I, I think we got to be careful not to chase down rabbit holes that get us entangled in something. And uh, if I'm uh, not speaking well on that or I'm making you uncomfortable with that, just throw that out. That's just me rambling. So, all right. Here are some features of the book of Revelation that I think it's good to consider. It's the only real prophetic book in the New Testament. 
Now, you think about prophetic books in the Old Testament. I think there's 17 of those. But there's only really one prophetic book in the New Testament. Now, we know there are prophecies, right, in the New Testament. Thessalonians, Corinthians, it talks about the coming of the Lord. But the book of Revelation is uh, the only book that is dedicated to that. Um, And we talked about just the, the idea that Revelation is about eternity Beginning, eternity, end. We know there's no end, but when beginning of time, end of time, and eternity on both sides, John was very specific to that. And there is a blessing that Revelation says is on us when we listen and obey the word of the book of Revelation. And I think that's important for us to understand. So uh, one scholar wrote this, and I, th- I thought it was an interesting way to kind of consider it. This book is like a great union station where the great trunk lines of prophecy come in from other portions of scripture. So it's gathering other portions of scripture into this kind of common pool or common area of prophecy. Uh, And so Revelation is not just originating, but it's consummating. And, And so that's what they say. And I I think that it's important that we, we kind of see it as that. And it's the, the consummation of the prophecies about Jesus Christ. So we read in Revelation uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We read about prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the church, resurrection, and translation of saints, the great tribulation, Satan, and evil. Uh, the man of sin, the, and, and, and the, the end of the apostate Christian uh, church, and the beginning and the end of the times of the Gentiles, the second coming of Christ, and even Israel's covenants. And we read all about that, but what is that? Where is that coming from? It's coming from the Old Testament, and there are passages that point us to that, and it's coming to kind of a, a, a head here with the book of Revelation. And so, when we ask the question, why, why the book of Revelation? Why was it so important that the book of Revelation be written? I think the first thing that I would say to that question is Jesus wanted the church to be confident in who he was. They wanted the church, he wanted the church to be confident in who he was. Because the book of Revelation is first and foremost the revelation of Jesus Christ. It depicts him as the risen, glorified Son of God, ministering among the churches. It it, uh, says of him that he's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. I quoted it earlier, the Alpha Omega, beginning and the end, the one who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty, the first and the last, the Son of Man, the one who was dead and is now alive forevermore as the Son of God, the one who is holy and true. He was the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. It says that he's the line 
line of the tribe of Judah, the lamb in heaven with authority to open the title deed to the earth, the lamb on the throne. He's the Messiah who will reign forever. He's the word of God, the majestic king of kings and lord of lords, returning in glorious splendor to conquer his foes. He's the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The book of Revelation is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's giving us this panoramic view of who Christ is and how he is sovereign in the world. So that's the first reason we should read the book of Revelation. It's important. And then the second may be God wanted the church to be alert and mindful of his coming. So that's why he wanted to reveal that to them. And so the church is warned to abhor sin and it's extorted, exhorted, I should say, not extorted, exhorted, maybe that happens too, exhorted to holiness, to be holy, because God is coming back for his church. And so we read that, and we're going to look at that tonight. We're going to see where that comes into play. And ultimately, God wanted his church to be confident that he truly was the sovereign conqueror, the king of kings and Lord of Lords. And so it's an important book. It's not one that's just meant to be some mysterious, weird, uh, end of time only kind of book. It's meant to encourage the church. It's meant to lift the church, but it's meant to reveal ultimately who Jesus Christ is in the past, who he is right now, and who he will be in the future. And so as we look at this, uh, we're going to just quickly do a division of this book. Uh, and there, again, you, you can find a, a ton of divisions on how people uh, divide this book up and try to make sense of it. And, and uh, to me, this is, this is a good way. It's a good way that I think can help you as you're reading it. So Revelation chapter 119 tells us, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So, Revelation 119, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So, we'll, we'll kind of walk through Revelation in these three ways. We'll, so, we'll talk about the things which you have seen, the things which John saw, the things which are, and then the things which will take place after these things. Again, this is not exhaustive in any way, and we're not going to complete all of this tonight. So I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation. Not Revelations. All right, if you've got your Bible, I want you to grab it. If you've got a pen, grab a pen, a notebook, whatever. Now, I'm going to take about... 10 minutes, I'm going to go about 10 more minutes, and we're just going to kind of highlight some sections, and if we, whatever we get to, we get to, and uh, then we'll do our, our app time. But the first part of the book of Revelation is the, the prologue or the intro. So I'm going to read this quickly. It says, the revelation, apocalypsis, of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants 
things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. It says, Blessed is he who reads, though, it reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Here's that calling that the coming of the Lord is imminent. All right, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Let me give you right Isaiah chapter 11, 1 and 2, I think, next to that. Seven spirits of God, Isaiah 11. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So it's this calling to the church, right? It's the calling to those seven churches and inviting us to know who we are in Christ. It's going to reveal who Christ is, but we are called as kings and priests in Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And uh, you can put there, move the stone next to dominion. All right. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. He says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's the Christ we serve, the one who was and is and is to come. Now, Revelation, from here, we kind of see another division. Now, it's going to get into a vision that John sees, and this is kind of the beginning of what is happening. First, or Revelation chapter 1, 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He understands that he was not just on that island because some emperor arrested him. And I'm, I'm going back to my message on Sunday. He was sent there. He understood that he was there on purpose. It wasn't an accident that he was sitting on that island. He said it was for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia. And he lists those out. And he said, I turned and I saw it. I saw seven golden lampstands. And, and uh, he sees in the midst of the seven lampstands, the son of man clothed with a garment. And uh, you will... For sake of time, skip through that. That's a powerful section. He sees Jesus Christ bright and shining in the middle of these lampstands. And so John falls down as if he's dead. And he, he said that he laid his hands on me. And he says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'll tell you what. When I, when I, 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 I've read this now twice over the last number of months, just prepping for this. And I kept that first and last, first and last. Sometimes you hear, and, and maybe I've said it before, 
that, that Adam is the, the, the first Adam and Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is not the second Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. And you read that in Corinthians. But here he's making it emphatic. I am the first and I am the last. I cover it all. And so he's telling John, do not be afraid. I am he who lives, was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. There's another little pet peeve of mine. Um, (laughs) Boy, I'm all messed up tonight. I apologize. Okay. Well, you only get one time to say these kind of things, so this is it. But you, you hear sometimes it said that Jesus has the keys to what? Death, hell, and the grave. That is incorrect. That'll be reread to the yellow team without interruption. That is not what the Bible says. You won't find that statement in Scripture. Now, I don't know that it's that big of a deal, but that's not what the Scripture says. It says that he has the keys of Hades and death. All right? So, you can deal with that in your own way. All right. He says, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. He said, the mystery. Again, he's revealing what he's seeing. The mystery of the seven stars which you see in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you, are, you saw are the seven churches. All right. So we can kind of classify that. And again, there's probably other ways you can do it, but it's... The things which John saw. Things which John saw. Now there are things that are. There are things that are. And here is what is. It's the letter to the churches. It's the letter to the churches. And so it's these seven letters. And I'm going to introduce this. I'm going to tell you right now we're not getting to it tonight. All right. The letters are referred to as oracles they're, they're to the seven churches, and they depict the reality of what was going on on the earth during John's life. And some churches were faring better than other churches. But each of the letters follows a fairly consistent literary formula or pattern. The first is John's commission to write to the congregation. So he's told to write to the congregation. Then it talks about Christ's nature really stemming from the the original vision. And then the evaluation or assessment of the church strengths and or weaknesses. And so then it talks about how the church should address the weakness. And it summons them to take heed to what was said to the oracles and it caused them to live victoriously. So that repetition over and over again, seven times that he writes to seven different churches. And it stems from uh, John's vision to each church. Now, interestingly, the book of Revelation was circulated to all seven churches and was given. They would give them the... The writing, they would read it, might contemplate it, and then scholars say that most likely that church, somebody would write down that revelation, then they would send on the original letter to the next church, and then that church would write it, send it on. So it was circulated among all 
the churches that way. Now, I don't know about you, I'm comfortable if somebody wants to write a letter to the Calvary Church explaining what we're doing wrong. I don't know I'm as comfortable with somebody writing a letter explaining what's going wrong with the Calvary Church and then send it out to all the churches in Cincinnati and Ohio. That's just a different, different thing altogether. But John wrote this book of Revelation. He wrote this vision, and God aired out everybody's laundry to everybody to, I, I think, to help each church realize the particular things that can sneak up on you if you're not careful. Now, we don't have time. We're, we're, we're past our time now. But I'll leave you with this. John, where was John at before he got arrested? Ephesus. John was the leader of Ephesus. What is the first church that gets called out? Ephesus. Um, I, I just found that interesting. That God starts with John. Starts with Ephesus and works from there. Now, we want to pause. We'll pause for the sake of time tonight. And uh, I want you to, we, we're, we're going to scrap my app time question. We'll save that one. That'll have to come at some point. But I want you to talk to somebody next to you. Ask them what their favorite part of the book of Revelation is. What's the most interesting thing you think of when you think of the book of Revelation, all right? I, do we have any music, or do we have any of the at time music? Tell me I don't have to sing it. Okay. All right. So, so go ahead and just, just talk to somebody next to you for about two minutes. I want you to think of your knowledge of the book of Revelation. What intrigues you? Like, if you were going to read one thing, or you wanted to talk about one thing, or you had an opinion about one thing about the book of Revelation... What would it be? Surely you've exhausted it by now. Did anybody have a movie come to mind when you thought about the book of Revelation? <laughs> the apocalypse? Sister Reed did? Yeah? Oh, Jesslyn did. Okay. Well, Sister Varnum. Sister Varnum had a Left Behind series is a good one. Yeah. All right. 
zombies. Um, but uh, Sister Reed was pointing out the, the fact that the end where John says there'll be no more sea and why that was so significant for him because he was on an island and all he could see was being surrounded by the sea. And John said there'll be no more sea. It's awesome. Why don't you stand with me tonight? As John closes the book, I want to read these last two passages. So much great, great things. But it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. And John says, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I think that's the intention of the book of Revelation in some ways, to, to get us to a point to say, Lord, come. We want you to come. This world's a mess. We're a mess half the time. But it provides hope. He provides the hope that he is coming back. And our echo of come quickly, Lord Jesus. And John ends with this passage or this saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace. God gives us the ability to walk through this life. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for just the opportunity to look into your word tonight. God, a, a book that many, including myself, Lord, we read it and we try to make sense of it and we want to do good by it, Lord, to honor it, to obey what it says. Lord, I pray tonight that we would just maybe have a, a perspective that causes us to, to hunger, not just your word, but to hunger your coming, to hunger, Lord, your return and your life with us. Lord, you showed us, God, in this book from beginning to end, from the very beginning of creation to the very end of time, Lord, that you we're inviting us into relationship with you, and you have conquered all. You are a sovereign God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray you would reveal yourself to us, Lord. Reveal yourself to us through your word. We thank you, God, for the people of God. Bless us. Keep us. Make your face shine upon us and give us peace in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.